You know, we do Advent slightly differently than many churches do. Um, as Baptists, we are part of what's called the free church movement or the free church tradition. And what that means is, in, in part, that um, as Baptists, we can decide how we want to worship and we don't, we don't have to set, we don't have to, to abide by a set book or a set of rules that we get to do things our way. So kind of to celebrate that, we change Advent a little bit in our church. In some churches, you'll have three purple candles and a pink one. In ours, we use all red because uh, red is the color that r reminds us that Jesus was born in order to die. That was the real reason that he came was to be the uh, the Lamb of God. So we choose to use red. We also change the order a little bit. Um, in most churches, you do hope, peace, joy, and end in love. Well, we like to switch the last two. We go hope, peace, love, joy. And there's a reason for that. Because in my mind... The emotional experience of anticipating Christmas builds. I'm hoping for it. I'm at peace about it. It's going to happen. I'm overwhelmed by his love for us that makes it possible. And then finally, joy, it's here. Yeah. yeah. So I always like to end the Advent season in joy, celebrating that he's come. I mean, isn't that what we say when Christmas finally gets here? We don't say hopeful Christmas, peaceful Christmas, loving Christmas. What do we say? Merry Christmas. And Mary's a weird word too, isn't it? It's the only holiday that we use that word for. We don't say Merry Fourth of July. Yeah. Everything else is happy, but we get to Christmas and it's Merry Christmas. Well... You can Google and find out why, and when you Google, it's going to tell you, we do that because that's the way we do it. <laughs> it, it really does. It kind of says, this is just how it's developed over time. Well, I know that. But the word Mary is uh, kind of an older English word, right? And so we brought it with us from Europe, and it, it's a part of our English language, and the interesting thing is that folks there, like particularly in England, now have changed over time. Now they say Happy Christmas, but we held on to that Merry Christmas. And I'm glad we did, and let me tell you why. You can be happy as, an, as a feeling, as kind of an emotion, but to be merry puts some action behind it. The connotation, the definition is almost the same, but the connotation, what it feels like it means. We don't make happy, but we do make merry. We do something with it. And so this morning, as we say Merry Christmas, we're saying not just, I hope you, you have a happy day, we're saying, we're reminding each other, do something with this. Make merry. 
Rejoice, because we have reason to rejoice. This morning, I want us to think together about joy to the world. And normally, we kind of have formed a little tradition in our church that we wind up listening to the angel's declaration joy about joy when it says, uh, I, I bring you good news of great joy. We've, we've done that every year on this Sunday for a number of years, and we're going to get there this year as well. But this year, I want to do things a little differently. The sermon's going to feel really different than it normally does. Because instead of just focusing in on that one statement, I want to, as quickly as possible, give us a kind of a survey of the word joy through scripture, a survey of how joy is tied directly to Jesus. And to help us with that, we're going to start in Isaiah 9. Isaiah 9 is again one of those traditional Christmas passages. And we often start with Isaiah 9 and verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. And that's why we light candles, because Isaiah prophesied that the light would come. And then when Jesus came, he said, I am the light of the world. And so we light candles and we put lights on trees and we decorate our houses with candles to, or with, not, don't decorate your house with candles, with, with lights, because it's a way for us to say the light of the world has finally come. And so we come to this verse often. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. And we usually stop there. This morning, I want to carry us to the very next verse that often gets overlooked. The very next verse, Isaiah 9 and 3, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. When harvest came in, it was party time because God had provided. And when harvest came in, that meant not only that we're going to have plenty to eat, but that meant that we've got, we've got a harvest by which we can make money to survive on the rest of the year. Harvest time was, was hard work, but involved in that hard work was a, a time of celebration. They literally threw parties at that time. And so Isaiah is saying, you know, that light that's going to bring darkness to the world, it's going to bring so much joy. Look, he multiplied the nation, increased its joy. And they rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. And they are glad when they divide the spoil. There is great joy and it is a joy foretold. Isaiah says joy is coming, friends. There's going to be a time when the light breaks the darkness and joy is multiplied among God's people. It was joy foretold. Well, then notice joy recognized. If you jump forward to Luke chapter 1, before Jesus is born, Mary 
is carrying Jesus, goes to see her cousin, Elizabeth. And as she walks up, Elizabeth, who also is pregnant, has a weird experience. She's carrying the one who will be known as John the Baptist. And as Mary walks up, carrying Jesus in her womb, John the Baptist in Elizabeth's womb jumps. It's like he's celebrated. And Elizabeth says to Mary, blessed are you, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. God is doing something great. I can tell it because the baby inside me rejoiced. In Luke chapter 1 at verse 44, behold, when the sound of your greeting, this is Elizabeth talking to Mary, when I heard your voice, the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Isaiah said, joy is coming, people. Hang on, it's going to get here. And then Elizabeth said, oh my goodness, something's happening. I can tell there's joy in you, Mary. Joy is showing up. It was a joy recognized and then notice the joy declared. Because not long after that experience where John the Baptist in his mother's womb celebrates the fact that Jesus is coming and joy will arrive for God's people. Not long after that, there are those shepherds keeping watch over their flock by night. And that angel shows up and says, hey, don't be afraid because I've got good news of great joy. Look in Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 10. The angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That word good news is the very same word from which we get our word evangelism. We tell the good news. It's the same word, by the way, as gospel good news. We have a good news story to tell. The very first person who got to tell that good news story was the angel who showed up that night when Jesus was born. The angel declares to the shepherds that night, fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. It was good news of great joy. Imagine being that angel. We don't know for sure which one it was. Many have thought it was probably Gabriel because of the other things he does in Scripture. But we don't know. Imagine being that angel. Because the angels have been aware the angels were created before the earth was created, by the way. Angels were with God even before man walked the face of the earth. Angels have been aware of God's plan. They've been waiting all this time to see how God would redeem fallen mankind. They've been looking for it, longing for it. And then finally, it is an angel who gets to announce it. Imagine being that guy. How did he get that job to be the one to declare to all of the world God's perfect plan is finally coming to, to, to fruition? It's all happening. No wonder he says it's good news and it's good news of great joy. It is joy declared to the world. And then we see joy provided. When Jesus was born, the angel said, hey, this is good news of great joy. Unto you is born 
today in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ, who is Messiah. Jesus then grows and he does all those wonderful works described for us in the Gospels. And he gathers around him disciples and followers with, to, to whom he will entrust the keys of the kingdom. It's now their job to take the gospel, the good news of great joy, to the whole world. And on the last night that he spends with those closest to him, the last night that he has with the, the twelve, he gathers them together and he says to them, I love you. Now, you love me. And the way you love me is by carrying out the stuff I've told you to do. You keep my commandments. That's how you love me. Jesus was entrusting to them that good news of great joy story that they would then take to the whole world. He says, if you love me, you'll do these things for me. And then he says, these things I have spoken to you. I've told you what to do. I've told you how important it is. And I've told you to do it out of love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you. You see, Jesus lived a joyful life. You say, how could that be? Because there were so many people who hated him. So many people who mistreated him. How could he live a joyful life? Because he had discovered that being in right relationship with his father is, was the source of joy. Now he says to his disciples, being in right relationship with me puts you in right relationship with my father. And that's where joy happens. And so he says, my joy the joy that I have because I've been obedient to the Father, I now give to you. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Isaiah said joy is coming. John the Baptist did a dance. Remember, do you ever realize that? The first baby to dance in joy for Jesus was a Baptist. John the Baptist did a dance because joy is coming. The angel declared it, joy has arrived. Jesus says, I've shown you joy, I've lived it, now I'm giving it to you, it's joy provided. And then after he promised them that, he turns his attention to the Father and we hear a joy requested. In that same conversation, John 15, 16, 17, that's all one great big conversation in the upper room. This is in the same conversation after he tells them, I've shown you what joy looks like, now I'm giving it to you. He then turns around and he has a conversation with the Father in which he says, but now I'm coming to you. Jesus knew he was about to die. He knew that that death would, would lead to resurrection, which would lead to ascension, that he would return to the Father. And so he says, I am coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. He says, guys, here's how you have joy and it's a full joy. And then he says, God, make sure that happens. Since I'm not going to be here with them, God, bring them that joy. Help them to find the joy that happens when we are true disciples, not just believers, not just names on a church roster, but when we really are disciples, followers, obeying disciples, 
trusting in his leadership and his lordship. There is joy. God, help them find that. And then we see a joy experienced. A joy experienced. We can find similar verses to this throughout Scripture, but I wanted to show you this one on purpose. In Nehemiah chapter 8, he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. Now that sounds like a party. Go and eat the fat. Drink sweet wine. He's saying, go get you some of that good brisket and Dr. Pepper. I don't understand when I go to Rudy's, they say, do you want the lean meat or the moist meat? And I say, look at me. What do you think? (laughs) Give me some of that fat. That's part of the celebration. Here, what has happened in this story is the word of God has been lost for a long, long time. Somebody recently found the scroll. They recently found the word of God and they spend all day long reading it. And as they read it, the people are overwhelmed as they realize that they have failed God. They have not lived up to what he expected of them nor what they agreed to. And so as they read the word of God, the people of God go through a time of repentance and they're crying, they're weeping at their failure. The prophet steps up to them and says, guys, that's not what today's about. You're feeling guilty and you're crying about yesterday. That That doesn't change anything. Instead, let's make this a day of celebration. Let's go have a party. Celebrating that now we can live the way God wants us to live. Now we know better. Now we've got the good news and we can live it out. So he says, now that we have God's word, go eat the fat, drink the sweet wine, send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. They didn't know to get ready. So y'all go give them some of what you've got. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And that's what I wanted you to see. It's a joy experienced. The joy of the Lord is that which gives us the strength we need to be the people God calls us to be. It is the joy of the Lord. I think that's significant because I think particularly in our tradition, we overlook joy too often. We think that we are made strong through Bible study, that we're made strong through church attendance, that we're made strong through uh, volunteerism. Scripture says it very clearly. Your strength, what it takes to be able to continue faithfully serving him day in and day out, where does that strength come from? It comes from joy. When you have the right relationship with God the Father, because you have a right relationship with God the Son, you have joy in life, 
And it is that joy that enables you to accomplish great things for his kingdom. It is a joy experienced. And then notice with me a joy expressed. Wouldn't it be sad if we had that joy and we never said or did anything about it? The joy of the Lord is my strength, but I'm not going to let anybody know that I have any of that joy. In Psalm 71, 23, my lips will shout for joy. When I sing praises to you, my soul also, which you have redeemed. In other words, my lips are going to shout for joy and my soul also is going to shout for joy. There's an external expression as I sing your praise and I shout for joy there's also something happening inside not just emotional that would be the heart but my soul is rejoicing on the inside and because my soul is rejoicing my lips can rejoice and I express that joy that's why we sing we sing as a way to express our joy, as a way to praise him, to celebrate that he has allowed us to find joy in life. Well, just as the scriptures tell us to express our joy, scriptures also acknowledge that our full joy is so incredible and so amazing that it cannot adequately be expressed. First Peter chapter one, verses eight and nine. I see that reference doesn't give you the chapter. It's first Peter one, eight through nine. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible, filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. He could say those words to our church this morning. Nobody in here ever saw Jesus of Nazareth. You never saw him. And yet you believe in him. It, it's not that seeing is believing. It's believing is seeing. I believe in one I've never seen. Therefore, I see his joy. I find that experience with him over, over joyful, and it's inexpressible. I don't even have the words to describe the joy that I have. Knowing him and knowing that I'll get to be with him forever, that joy is inexpressible. There's also a joy shared in Scripture. In 2 John chapter 1, though I have much to write to you, he says, he's concluding, he says, though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to see you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. Friends, one of the reasons that you and I miss out on joy so often is because we try to do this Christian thing on our own. Maybe we stay home because we're grumpy. Maybe we don't connect with others because it's 
it's awkward for us. Maybe we have pride that says, I don't need that church. I don't need anybody else. There is a reverse hypocrisy that happens quite often where we say, everybody at that church is a hypocrite. I don't need them. And as soon as we say that, we make ourselves a hypocrite because we're saying, I'm better than the church. See, we need each other. It is our joy. There's a corporate experience that enhances joy, that helps us define it, understand it, and experience it and express it. It's the corporate experience that develops that joy within. It's a joy shared. And finally, friends, those of us who have trusted in Christ, those of us who heard the good news and believed in the one we can't even see, those of us who have found that his joy is our strength, that obeying him and loving him is the source of joy, those of us who've experienced all of that will also get to experience joy eternal. In Revelation 19, it says, let us rejoice. Let us make merry. Let us rejoice and exalt. Give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. There will be a day when we get to rejoice because this earth as we know it is gone and we're at that wedding feast of the Lamb. We are celebrating a new heaven and a new earth and we are rejoicing that we get to be a part of his presence for all eternity. That joy that was foretold by Isaiah will be eternal for all believers, described for us by John in Revelation. Joy. The joy that comes from Christ is so much more than being happy. The joy that comes from Christ is the joy that you can't even express because it defines who you are and it fills you completely. You sing it out the best you can. You feel it within. You experience it. You want to share it with others. All because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life, eternal joy. God, thank you.